This is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Warr, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Salk. All right, good morning, everybody. It is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com and the Seattle Sports app. And it's good to be with you guys today. Good to be back in studio. Nice to see you, Justin. Maura, missed you guys yesterday. I had to communicate remotely as I was oh, over I was at like, Seahawks facility. I know you were here, but I wasn't here. I feel lonely when I'm over there. You know how it is. It's you- not the same. I Even feel lonely. with now the new excitement around the building. Yeah, and I still, I mean, I'm in a little room over there, a little studio. Thankfully, you know, we do have a studio over there. I'm not like in some storage closet or something. I right. mean, there's, you know, it looks good and feels nice, yeah. but I am, you know, by myself and it's lonely and I miss you guys. So, you know, that's all. I just, it's nice to be back with humans and, uh, it's good to see you. It's good to have you back. How, you. What did you learn? I mean, all right. I got two can, things. Yeah. You can hear everything. You want to hear in your own mind from Mike McDonald, but sitting across from him, you get body language, you get a lot of different things in the room. And I know the video's up on yeah. YouTube. It's got a 40,000 yeah. people have viewed it's, it already on YouTube, it's, it's which is off. great. So yeah. want, but what did you actually learn from sitting next to So, him? a couple of things. First of all, as we mentioned, he showed up early, which um, is uncommon and new. And that was sort of exciting. It was nice to see him down there a couple of minutes yeah. beforehand. And we got a chance to shake hands. He has a very firm grip, not going to surprise you much. Uh, and just super friendly. He was really nice, engaging, you know, said hi. We quickly went over our uh, mutual, the fact that we were both born in Massachusetts. He was uh, from the South Shore, he told me, situate, but he moved when he was seven years old down to Georgia. I kind of enjoyed that stuff later about his uh, about his family and kind of hearing that his dad was a West Point grad. It's like, yep, that makes so sense. Checks out. That <laughs> checks out in basically every way, in his handshake, in his punctuality, in his presence, all of that stuff I thought sort of came out in uh, in that little little uh, anecdote about his life. Um, but I, yeah, I, I really, I found him very engaging. He definitely had a presence. The fact that he was sort of, you know, Pete was always so laid back, right? Every time you'd see Pete in there, He'd be kicked back. He'd have his feet up sometimes. He'd have the flannel shirt on, sitting back, very relaxed in that environment. Not that McDonald seemed nervous in any way because he most decidedly did not, but it was just a totally different posture. Edge of the seat, sitting up, looking forward, leaning in a little bit, just a different form of engagement. Um, And it's funny because in some ways Pete – with his casual approach could almost keep you a little bit at arm's length. I think the body language yesterday was much more draw you in and start a conversation. So I I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the interview. We'll play you guys the whole thing coming up here in a half hour. Um, We got a ton of observations from it throughout the day, a lot of sound to play from it throughout the day. You know, very clearly he is – he is John Schneider's guy. And a ton of the comments, a ton of the replies all talk about, God, he sounds like Schneider. It's amazing how much he sounds like Schneider. I went back and listened to some of the interviews. Like, yeah, he, he does sound a lot like Schneider. There's no doubt. And I think furthermore, you know, you can feel some of the empowerment of John in that building right now as, you know, when it comes to personnel, when it comes to all the decisions that are going to be made, when it comes to his defensive coordinator that McDonald had never met, right? I mean, like, there was 
there was a lot of John influence, I think, in the fact that that's how it's going to be now moving forward. So that definitely stood out. And then there's a few others, and we'll we'll kind of dig into them in more detail later. But I can't help but notice that when we asked about, you know, reaching out to players, he said we'd start with the quarterbacks. But which quarterbacks did he say? Listen to this one. This was a little surprising. Yeah, so we're working our way through the guys slowly but surely. But right now the quarterbacks, you know, Drew and Gina have been the main guys we've talked to. And then we're working our way through now. But I just my message to the guys has just been, hey, look, be patient. We're trying to spend a lot of time. You know, I'm on a lot of Zooms right now, a lot of phone calls with coaches and stuff. So, um, but we're setting some time, some some time out each day to to talk to call the guys and Drew and Gino. Mm, that's alphabetical, baby. Uh, people pointed out that that's the second time he's done that. Said Drew and Gino. Uh-huh. That's fine. I don't necessarily put a tremendous amount of stock in whose name comes first. I was just surprised to hear Drew's name I at all on this show. Do you? Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Uh, that's why I don't put any stock into it. So it doesn't really matter whether your name goes first or second. Man, that I've been on other shows. Brock and I obviously have never had an issue with that or anything. I don't care. But uh, I've, I've been on other shows where that was a legitimate oh. issue in terms of like people being oh, yeah. a little hurt over Hierarchy, whose name yeah. goes first. Like, oh, my God. Um, no, I, I'm not as I'm not as interested that he put Drew's name first. I'm interested that he put in Drew's name at all. Drew Locke was not the starter last year outside of a game or two when Gino was hurt and isn't supposed to be on the roster right now for next year's free agent. I mean, maybe he'll be back, but I mean, I think the expectation is if all things being equal, if Drew thinks that he's earned, you know, the right to try to go out and compete for a starting job somewhere that he would go out and do that. So I do think it's interesting that Drew Locke is one of the first people he's reached out to, regardless of whether he puts the name before or after Geno Smith. Sure. Okay. Don't know what that means. We are, what, three days away from their big decision on Geno. He did sort of nod along and hopefully, excuse me, you could hear that a little bit when asked about big decisions, roster decisions to make, that he was like, yep, we got a couple coming up quickly. And yeah, Geno's obviously the biggest. He might not be the only one. You know, the one other name that comes up there, and Brady Henderson mentioned this to me yesterday and Brock, is is Draymond Jones, who's in a kind of similar spot. And, you know, Brady went through some logic, which is, hey, if you want to sign Leonard Williams and you feel like you only have the money at the moment to sign one of the two, is that the direction you go where you sign Leonard Williams, let Draymond Jones go, who might not fit this scheme? As well as he's not a big, huge defensive lineman. He's more of a, you know, kind of tweener guy that might not be the fit for what Mike McDonald's defense looks like. So that's another one to kind of watch here over the course of the week. Those big decisions. How much did you feel that McDonald is going to be making those? I think he's in on them, but yeah, it does feel like John Schneider is going to be making a lot of these big decisions. And, you know, that's where you come back on the quarterback thing to Gino always felt like Pete's guy. And John, I know, loves Drew Locke. And so when you hear Drew's name mentioned a couple of times like that, I think there's uh, I think there's absolutely some relevance to it. The last thing uh, that certainly came up, and, and this was near the end, just kind of asked him, hey, how much turnover do you expect? I, I, you know, I don't know if I can answer that. I mean, um, that's something that John and I were working through. And I know there's some decisions that we got to make here, you know, pretty soon. But um yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, it's something I'm not going in with the mentality of, hey, let's flip this whole thing over. We're not, I, I don't think that's the mentality. It's more of an open mind. What's best for the team? Obviously, John's handling it 
on the personnel side, but uh, we'll, we'll be uh, tag team through that whole process. So don't really know exactly what to make of that. He's not looking for a complete rebuild, clearly. I think he'd like to win sooner rather than later. But also, they sound open to the fact that there are some guys on this roster that may not be back next year. And I think we know who a lot of those names are. And we'll talk through Jamal Adams and we'll talk through Draymond Jones and Geno Smith and, you know, what they want to do with the linebackers who are both free agents. I mean, like, there's a ton of fairly obvious conversation in there. I wrote last night about one that's less obvious, and I, I got a lot of uh, a lot of hate mail this morning. A lot of you are very angry that I brought up the idea of right? trading DK Metcalf. And I get it. I think probably some of you are the same people that were very mad every time I brought up trading Felix Hernandez and the same people who were very mad at the idea of trading Russell Wilson. I get it. Change is hard. And DK's a great, phenomenal player. There's no doubt about it. To trade DK Metcalf would hurt. It would sting. It'd be a major ouch. And I'm not even saying it's the only path for them to go down to try to, you know, get themselves ready for the future. But... If you are looking to change your roster construction and put your resources into different spots on the field, he provides the most value back in a return that would allow you to invest your resources differently. This isn't an I hate DK Metcalf column. This isn't a DK is a problem column, although someone could probably write one of those, but this isn't it. That's not what this is about. I, I encourage you to actually read the words at seattlesports.com rather than reacting to the headline of, oh, my God, they want to trade a player I like because I like him, too. He's a blast to watch. As somebody pointed out, half of their top 10 plays last year were DK. No kidding. He's great. This isn't a shot at him. It's looking at your roster construction, realizing that they've invested a ton on the outside, not enough up front. And trying to remedy that by trading from a position that it seems like you can always find more guys in the draft every year. There's like 12 great receivers that come out every year. There aren't a whole lot of offensive and defensive linemen. You need linebackers. You need guys on the line of scrimmage. Your team is constructed in a weird way right now. And oh, by the way, if you want another first round pick, if you do believe you want to fix some of those problems and try to find you know, your own franchise quarterback, because yes, everybody pointed out that my comparison with the Chiefs is flawed because the Chiefs have G- have Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Well, yeah. you have Geno Smith. I know that. But if you want to try to get a Patrick Mahomes, you've got to find a way to pick one. So this might provide you an opportunity to do it. It's not the only way to go, but it is a way to go. So I'd encourage you guys to read it, CLSports.com. We'll talk a little bit more about it later this morning. Until then, I'll give you everything you need to know, including one more name off the free agent list that may actually be good news for Mariners fans. That's next. I'm Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. First. Well, we got our first real chance to meet Mike McDonald yesterday. I thought he seemed very comfortable, very real and authentic, very much the right guy to transition into the next era of Seahawks football. You can see how he commands a room, how he must mesh very well with John Schneider, and yeah, how he wants to build a team that's going to play some physical football. Well, I want to build the offense through the same lens of how we're building, of how we built the defense and we're going to build it here. So we have to be really, really good at the core philosophies, core fundamentals core concepts and then we want to be able to apply those things 
you know, on a game-to-game basis based on who we're playing. So we don't want to reinvent our offense every week. So we have to have a core identity. So what is that? Well, we're going to be a physical unit. Like, we're going to we're going to, we're going to run the football, you know, and we want to have answers for the quarterback, and we want to keep it consistent for him, you know, so he can play fast and play decisive and, uh, and get the ball to our playmakers. I mean, certainly hearing the word physical first is a pretty good sign. Not surprising for a guy coming out of the Baltimore and Michigan systems here over the last couple of years. He explains his term chasing edges. I'll hear it coming up here in a few minutes when we play you the whole interview. But essentially, it sounded a lot like Pete's phrase of competing every day or always compete. It's essentially looking for an edge, trying to be marginally better than your opponent in every single thing you do, finding that one thing that will give you an edge in every battle. It seems pretty simple. It seems pretty easy to coach. Now we just go out and see how he executes all of that. Other NFL news. We did get the numbers back for the Super Bowl ratings. 123 million people watched the Super Bowl. That is an NFL record. Here's the second thing you need to know. Pitchers and catchers already en route for tomorrow's reporting date in Peoria. While the lineup and the quest for more offense has certainly been the story of the offseason. Look, it's still the pitching that's the strength of this team. And they come in without too many real roster battles to win, right? Luis Castillo is going to start opening day. Then George Kirby. Then Logan Gilbert. That's one, two, three. Bryce Miller almost definitely slotted into the fourth spot. And I think we'd all probably expect them to protect Brian Wu quite a bit, especially early in the season. The way the schedule shakes out, kind of like what they did with George Kirby last year, they can skip him and move him around so that he would need to go almost more than a month before he would need to start on regular rest. So he would always have at least five days rather than four in every start for the first month plus of the season. That's how you try to protect a guy like Brian Wu, keep his innings down, and try to keep his arm in good shape. Two bigger questions pitching-wise. Who's going to start besides that group and Emerson Hancock? Those are clearly your front six. Teams often need eight to ten, right, to get through a season. Who's going to win a couple of open jobs in the pen? Bunch of hard-throwing candidates. Ty Adcock. Carlos Vargas is a newcomer. Jackson Coar is another name to know. We'll be doing so while we are down there in Peoria, not next week, but the week after. You can also cross one more available name off the list. Outfielder DH Jorge Soler is heading to San Francisco in a three-year deal. Mariners still unlikely to do anything else, but if they do, this was never really going to be it just because of the positional flit, uh, fit. He's really a DH. My eyes are still on Matt Chapman, and this does take away one of his possible destinations. So we'll see. Still another couple weeks to go before the season. Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, I don't want to get to this one, but the Kraken might be in a little trouble. More, you watched the game yesterday? Unfortunately. They didn't look very good at all. Second time since coming out of the All-Star break, they were beaten. This one, not particularly close. New Jersey got right after him from the start. Joey Decord was the best player for the Kraken by far. I mean, he was great. Gave up three goals, could have been 10. Seriously, he was phenomenal yeah, really throughout the whole game, but they were bad. Matty Beneers had another tough game, a turnover, which led to a goal. Riker Evans got to start. He was beat for another goal. God, they need some of these pups to grow a little bit. And uh, if not, trade deadline's coming up and you may see some veterans moving on. That would be kind of a bummer. They'll get right back to it tonight in Long Island to take on the Islanders. That is everything you need to know. And we do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. Yeah, that was. Devils aren't necessarily a 
No, they're good. World beater, are they? No, they're good. Oh, really? Devils okay. are good. Uh, the Islanders are okay. They're going to play the Bruins twice here in the next week and a half. They're good. They play Vancouver's good. Yeah. This they is a tough the part of the schedule. before the All-Star break. Yeah. They had a stretch there. Yeah. These are good teams. This is a pretty good run and, you know, doing it across the country. But, you know, tough. <laughs> like that's that's the way the schedule shakes out and leading into the leading into the all-star break they didn't look close i think that's what was so upsetting last night and we talk about this when they play teams that have a top line or so and you saw it last night with the Hughes line they didn't have any ability to to skate with them they just don't have that top end talent and Matty Beniers has regressed badly from what he looked like last year. He just looks like a completely different player. I don't know what it's from, but it is very very Concerning. Is hockey the type of sport where a team can figure somebody out? No. Okay. Not really. I was, I was wondering, is, is this an adjustment? Or I is don't this think just, so. He's just not Other than just he's not a huge guy, and maybe they're just kind of being more physical with him even than they were last year. But I thought they were also trying to do that last year. So, all right. They uh, dropped down to sixth in the Pacific Division. Yeah, not, a, were, good, not a good spot. They were pushing for... Fourth, or they were fourth pushing for third at one point. Yeah, yeah a couple of losses, okay. and uh, all of a sudden things look different. All right, let me take a quick break. I want to play you guys the entirety of the Mike McDonald interview from yesterday. He was incredibly interesting to talk to, very engaging, very authentic, and he gave us a lot of clues as to the future of his Seahawks team. Stick around. You'll hear the whole thing next on Brock and Salk. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, let's get right to it. Coach Mike McDonald with us. Brock, he showed up early. I think that uh, says something right there. He's uh, uh-huh. <laughs> he's prepared for us, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But, Coach, welcome to Seattle and welcome to the Brock and Salk Show. It's nice to meet you in person. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Brock, C- good to see you guys. Con- congratulations. And what? Uh, tell us a little bit about your first what, week and a half or so here? What It must be a whirlwind. What have you been doing for the last 10 days? <laughs> <laughs> well, some people don't think it, but we have been working on our staff the whole time. <laughs> so uh, uh, we're going through the process. It's funny, we came over to the facility the first time to in- introduce just before the press conference and uh, met everybody r- briefly, but then we were on the board, you know, working on staff immediately. So it, it's been, it's it's a long process, but uh, it's been a great process trying to, trying to find the right guys to, to come in here and, and coach our team. What have you learned through that process, Mike? Kind of first time you've you've been down that road. I'm sure you've you know played a role in hiring secondary coaches or some other components of a defense, but to do the whole organization, what have you kind of learned along the way? Yeah, you try to stay patient with the whole with the whole process. I mean, and there's going to be some guys that end up taking jobs other places, but like the timing doesn't work out, so you can't get frustrated with it. And uh, you know, you went in talking to John and how we wanted to, how we wanted to build this thing and. And um, there's a process behind it about how we wanted to handle it. And uh, just trying to adhere to that without getting impatient and, and making decisions that, you know, that you might not be um, what's in best interest for the team. So just trying to stick to that and, and, and trusting that it'll, it'll shape up over here over the next week or so. What drew you to Ryan Grubb? <laughs> um, been, on, you know, been on my radar watching you know, his teams perform uh, throughout the season. And uh, obviously thinking that a you know, situation like this might come about. And then uh, getting to know him throughout the process and the type of guy he is. And, you know, he's, he's been a winner everywhere he's been. And I just think it speaks to his, his uh, football character and things that him and Kalen have done over time. Everywhere they've gone, they've really rebuilt the culture where they've been and, and they've won immediately. Having that type of growth mindset 
being able to adapt to the players that he has in this in his scheme and I just I disrespect about you know what his offense looks like you mentioned that growth mindset a couple of times last week and it, yeah. it stood out to both of us what how do you judge that when you're interviewing people or talking to some of these guys how do you and for those people who don't know what a growth mindset is maybe you could even explain it because i know it's yeah. sort of a hot term in education yeah it's a little bit but i don't know that everybody word. knows what it means yeah i think you're trying to understand how people think and it's um trying to push the envelope about what they're trying to do and what trying they're accomplish. So people that just have the mindset of like, Hey, this was this way I've always done it. And this is the way to do it. And we're stuck on that. Like that's not appealing to me and the guys that were trying to, you know, join our organization. So uh, I think when you look at his track record and, and the things that they've done, they're always looking to find new ways schematically and through relationships and how he operates uh, to help his guys. And I just, I respected that about him. And, and a lot of, and there's a lot of great coaches out there that have that type of mindset, but, um, you're, I think it's important. Like we're, t we have a term here called like chasing edges, you know, and, and that's through all, all aspects of your program. And so those are the type of people that we need in here, you know, to have that type of mentality. What's the genesis of chasing edges? Well, um, this is something that was in Baltimore from John that he, he had mentioned a couple of times and we've, and we, him and I have had conversations with, about, uh, about, you know, the, the Baltimore program, but my mentality is take that in terms of, you know, built in, it was more schematics, Brock, you know, yeah. in Baltimore, but um, it really resonated with me about how you want to build your program. And I just think that it's so competitive in the NFL and it's so difficult to win and you win on the margins. And so if we can have the mentality here in Seattle, regardless, like even just how we operate with our PR department, this is, you know, video, all those types of things, how we generate information, uh, how we coach our guys, the drills that we do, messaging to the team, just every aspect of our program. If we have the mentality where we're trying to push the envelope, trying to win on the margins, I just I just think that's that's the only way to go about it. You know, to win to win in this in in the NFL. What did so you take what, away from the Super Bowl last night? By the way, were they chasing any edges <laughs> there? Was there any winning in the margins? Anything you take away from that? You know, I, shoot, I actually want to watch the, I want to, I can't wait to watch the tape. You know, that'll happen like three months from now when, on, the, on, the, on the pace that we're at now. But, um, shoot, I just, I, I thought, uh, I thought, I thought Spags had a great game plan defensively. I was really interested to see what they did. And, and San Francisco played well on defense too. But, um, I'm sure there's things to come up, you know, obviously the, the overtime decision and things like that. But, uh, yeah, just it just it does show. I mean, it came down to the last second, right, Brock? I mean, yep. you know, and so it just shows you. I mean, and like like the third down, the third down play that Kansas City stopped, and I think to force a field goal at the end. You know, I mean, those things are those things are obviously really important. Are you ready to make those decisions in a game? <laughs> right? You got to be thinking yeah, along I mean, with him now. When I mean, you the watch. short answer is, is you have to be right, but it's going to take a lot of work. You know, identifying the situations building out a great plan throughout the offseason of being able to practice them enough that we're going to have to do with two uh, coordinators as well. Um, but I think when you put yourself in those situations throughout and, and you have a great plan from now until September, you know, then when those situations come up, we're ready to go. Actually, I watched the game with John last night and I was talking through like some of the things that, that you know, my mentality and those things right, that uh, happened in real time. And, you know, it's interesting, but I think you have to have a a philosophy going into the game and then be able to be adjustable as the game you know declares let's come come back to the offense for a moment i want i want to hear a little bit more about not just grub but also 
what you want the offense to look like. Does it? How does it complement the defense that you've sort of had in your mind? What should we expect from that? Well, I, I, we're gonna. I want to build the offense through the same lens of how we're building, of how we built the defense, and we're going to build it here. So we have to be really, really good at the core philosophies, core fundamentals, core concepts. And then I, we want to be able to apply those things, you know, on a game-to-game basis based on who we're playing. So we don't want to reinvent our offense every week. So we have to have a core identity. So what is that? Well, we're going to be a physical unit. Like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to run the football, you know, and we want to have answers for the quarterback, and we want to keep it consistent for him. You know, so he can play fast and play decisive and uh, and get the ball to our playmakers. So, I mean, I know that's kind of coach speak, but, I mean, it's a it needs to be an efficient unit. You know, we want to be able to possess the ball. We want to be able to uh, obviously be explosive and not turn the ball over. And I think that's going to come through run and play action on early downs. And then when we, when we are forced to you know drop back in those situations, having a consistency in, 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 the, in the quarterback's reads so he can play fast and uh, – and uh, and be decisive. You know when we have to drop back and throw the ball. Where are you on risk in on <laughs> offense? Are you are you willing and and interested in taking risks for big rewards? Are you trying to make sure your quarterback doesn't turn the ball over at all costs? Where, where do you yeah. fall on that spectrum? Yeah, I, I think you have to be you have to be aggressive. You have to be aggressive, and and you do that through calculated risk. So, I guess my answer is, is it's calculated risk. <laughs> you know so. But those are those are things you just have to be measured about. I mean, you're getting to know my personality. I'm a pretty measured guy, um, so we're not just going to be chucking the ball over the yard every every down. That's not the way to win in the NFL. I mean, you, you guys saw it last night. Like you got to be able to run the ball, and you got to be able to protect it. You know, so um, you know. But there's going to be opportunities to throw the football down the field and 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 get the ball in the perimeter. I mean, obviously those those things are imperative. You know, to win to win in this league as well. Are you more of a finance guy or management guy? Neither. <laughs> Neither. I mean, well, Sigma cum laude in finance. I mean, I see that in the in the background. I've also heard, you know, some of the master's degree in management. Those oh, things come in into play. Man. Yeah, I think you know, Brock. I I, uh, I I think the finance thing is more of a problem solving type <laughs> type mentality. You know, I think that's really what finance is, right? It's just putting numbers behind it. Um, definitely not accounting. No offense to those folks, but it's just. I that I hated that class, man. That was tough, you know. That was my that was uh, that was tough. But I, through through finance, it was more like how do you how do you figure out how to get stuff done, but through numbers. Mm-hmm. And so that that was more of my mentality. And then management, I, I I prefer the term leadership, you know, in terms of bringing people together. Um, so you know, uh, it's been a long time since I was in those finance classes. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up because I think of Ryan Grubb and I called a bunch of his games over the last couple of years and been out on the practice field. To me, that is what comes across. People will look at the raw numbers, Mike, and say, oh, my gosh, Mike McDonald hired a guy that throws the ball 61% of the time. Last two years of Washington, he chucks it six out of ten times. How is he going to balance all of this out? But when I look at his system, pre-snap motion, shifts, movements, getting getting to answers, as you said, for the quarterback, I guess um, what was some of the greatest appeal with his system in particular? Well, to, you know, to your point with the numbers, I mean, yeah, initially you look at the the pass stats, you're like, man, they're chucking it all over the yard. To your point, but they do, they've been able to possess the ball, and um, and be efficient in how they operate. And I think I think that's also reflective of the of the roster that they had in Washington, and be accentuate the guys that they had and, and the talent that they had. So you, that speaks to adaptability and his flexibility on how he calls it. But Ryan, I mean, uh, Ryan's an O line guy at heart. You know, and uh, I really respect that about him. And there's a lot of great play callers in this league. 
you know, they got, you know, they really have a, a core identity through the offensive line. So, um, and I think they're run, like you look at the run numbers, they're also very efficient running the football. And so we're definitely going to be, that's going to be our, one of our core identities, being able to run the ball and, and, um, and it's not, and, and have multiple runs, you know, have different ways to attack offenses through the run game. And, uh, and those are conversations that him and I have had. And, and as we build this thing out, then, um, you know, I'm sure that, uh, It'll it'll look a little bit different than it did in Washington, but like to your point, a lot of the motions, the pre-snap shifts, you know, that, that gives defensive fits and it gives quarterback answers. And to me, that's uh, that's good for us. Talking to Coach Mike McDonald, New Seahawks head coach. Along those lines, what does your ideal quarterback look like? What hmm. qualities does he possess? Yeah, the quarter. Yeah, there's quarterbacks come in all different shapes and sizes. But to me, can you can you make people around you better and can you bring people together? Are they, are they going to go play for you? I mean, in terms of anticipation, accuracy, and things like that, and playing on time, playing with anticipation, um, being able to see, the, you know, being able to have great vision of the field and see it. I mean, those things are obviously incredibly important, but at its core, it's, hey, can we bring, can we bring the team together and, and, will, and will the guys follow you when you go fight on Sundays? And um, th- that's, that's obviously that's the starting point. What did that uh, game in early November against the Seahawks, do you remember that one very much? I know John did, and John referenced that at your press conference and many yeah. different memories between you and him. Do you remember that game and, and studying this team and now sitting in the seat you're sitting in as the head coach? Could you have ever imagined then that you would be in this seat today? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously every game is really important. Seattle was playing really well coming into that game, so that was that was a big one. Um having them in Baltimore. Um, and, I mean, they, they we got really good players here. I mean, I remember that. I mean, it's just we our, the Ravens defense that day, we played really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that's – I think talking to some of the guys on offense so far, they like that's what they spoke to is like the cohesiveness of how we play on defense. So I'm looking forward to building that here. But, um, yeah, I remember the game, of course. But at, at, the, and at the time, Brock, like you're, you're, you're just – I mean, you know how it is in the league. You're just, it's a one week at a time. I mean, you're not thinking about being a head coach. I mean, you're just trying to trying to win that game and, and putting everything you can possibly do from week to week and, and you know, to be successful. And then that was the mentality, you know, that week. You mentioned uh, some of the guys you've had a chance to talk to so far. What have those conversations been like? Who have you spoken with? Yeah, so we're working our way through the guys slowly but surely. But, um, I, but right now the quarterback's, you know, Drew and Gina have been the main guys we've talked to, and then we're working our way through now. But I just, my message to the guys has just been, hey, look, be patient. We're trying to spend a lot of time. You know, I'm on a lot of Zooms right now, a lot of phone calls with coaches and stuff. So, um, But we're setting some time, some, some time out each day to, to, talk, to call the guys and, and kind of catch up with those guys. Was the British speaking, was that the overwhelming move with your D coordinator, the fact that he could yeah, speak that was, so Yeah, that was the driving force. That was actually, as soon as I heard Aiden, Aiden talk, I knew that was the guy, you know. <laughs> You don't, will, you don't hear a ton of British accents. I know. I was surprised. Game. I was surprised. I was surprised. I thought we were going to go to a Sounders game when he started talking about football. But uh, but yeah. you, know, you don't have a, a history together, right? I mean, this is sort of bringing somebody in that you don't know all that well. Well, you know, it's. Um, I think it speaks to the process that we that we came in with the mentality we had about trying to find the best people with you know with the just with the personality and the mindset that we're looking for and the track record and and. Um, Aiden became in highly, highly recommended, and um, 
became, got on our interview list and, and knocked it out of the park when we first sat down. And I said, I'm just listening to him talk about how he sees the game uh, was very similar to how I saw it in terms of what you needed to do to be able to defend offenses um, these days. And, and he had some really interesting perspectives. So we felt like, shoot, we got to get this guy here in person, brought him in, did a great job. And, uh, and it just kind of took off from there. So I'm really excited to work with him, and uh, he's coming in town here and uh, later on today, actually. So we're excited to sit down and start building the staff out. How did Leslie Frazier come into the fold? Oh, that he's um, just – I worked with Leslie back in Baltimore, I think in 2016 and 20, 2015, 2016 maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, So I've had a relationship with, with Les for a long time, and obviously he's got an incredible track record in the NFL uh, being a head coach – um, high-powered defenses, being on the Bears 85 team, I mean, just um, so much wealth of knowledge, you know, so I have so much respect for him, uh, both in what he knows football-wise and also just his character. And so uh, he's going to be a massive resource for us, and, as me, and me personally, navigating it, being a first-time head coach, he's kind of been through the wars, he can see around the corners, and uh, he's, been a, he's been a great help so far, but we're, we're working on this thing as a great partnership between him and I, and um, just really respect Les. I'm just I'm really happy that he decided to join us. We got a text message here who says, I'm a CPA. Don't worry, no offense taken. So they're, <laughs> the accountants out there are okay with you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, we're talking to Coach Mike McDonald, and, and I'll admit this is a little surreal. I mean, Brock and I have been hosting this show for the better part of 15 years, and for 14 of them we sat across the table from one coach. You come into the building following that coach, and the ghosts are everywhere. And his influence upon this building is so strong. How do you how do you respect that while still putting your own brand and stamp on things like the basketball hoop that's out there? Yeah, or we the haven't music. decided to do the hoop yet. Yeah. Right, the music at at uh, at training camp. How how will you handle all of that stuff? Yeah, you know, I'm not. I don't. I'm not intimidated by by that. It's just. I. It's not something that I'm. I'm worried about. It's something that you want to embrace. I mean, like I spoke to in our press conference. I mean, you think about the Seattle Seahawks. It's kind of. I mean, it's. You. You can't not think about. You know, Coach Carroll in that in that regard. And um, you have to have respect for what they've been able to do here in the last 15 years. Um, so I think you're looking at building upon the foundation that they and not trying to reset it. I mean, that's that just makes sense to me, you know, and they've done a lot of great things here. And I think, um, how, OK, so how do you approach it? Well, I mean, my philosophy. So it's going to be core to us and uh, and how we want to operate. And I think you stay true to to who I am as a person and as a leader and as a coach. And uh, and that'll start to like kind of manifest itself in terms of the personality of the team and um uh, and, and, and I think we're just going to go with the mentality of, hey, let's do it. what's best for, for the Seahawks and the, who the guys ha- we have and where we want to go. But, um, and, and the, the kind of the remnants of Coach Carroll's legacy here, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, we're not trying to shy away. We want that. We want to be around that. You know, we want to build around that. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to kind of work through that and see, where, and see where it takes us. And right alongside, I, I can't help but think of a Jim Harbaugh and a John Harbaugh. Right, and Pete had his background with those guys and those yeah. battles in this division and everything else. I'm just curious as now you sit as the head coach, and I know it's only been a couple of weeks, but what do you feel like is the biggest imprint that the Harbaugh's made on you? Man, um, it's, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's a lot of who I am, Brock. It really is. I mean, that's been my experience the last 10 years. You know, I mean, these, I've barely been shaped through those two organizations. 
but the big the biggest thing that I is is there's there's no other there's no alter agenda with those two with with John and Jim. They're as real as it gets, and the players realize that that their motive is what's best for the team and what's best for the players, and what and they have their players' backs and they're ready to go to war with those guys. You know, yeah. I mean they're, they're an ultimate talk about ultimate competitors, and so I have the same mentality. I mean it's 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 through the lens of what's best for the team, what's best for the players, and uh, and we're going to build it that way rather mm-hmm. than just you know being you know stubborn and see what what's be- what Mike McDonald thinks all yeah, the time. Yeah, I think that's what really struck me, and, and you and I, I think, a couple times had production meetings in your one year in Michigan there, and it just struck me that I don't think people realize how much Jim is a player's coach, right? You see, you know, the, the press conferences and everything else, and, and, and John as well, that they just love their players. And when you were there for just that one year, I know I felt it. I know you felt it when we talked about it then. Do you feel like you will bring that kind of same emphasis emphasis and impetus that it is going to be about these players? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it, The game's always been about the players, always will be. I mean, I think when you're in it with them every day, Brock, and you realize what these guys do on a day-to-day basis, you can't help but have massive respect for what this job entails and how competitive it is and how tough it is to be successful. And that's why we take this job so seriously. You know, that's why we spend so much time trying to put them in a position to be successful. And when, and when they are, that's why it's so rewarding because you realize how difficult it is, but absolutely. I mean, everything, and I, I said in our press conference, all of our decisions will be driven for what's best for the guys and what's best for the team. I mean, I mean, to me, it's like, that's like the ultimate, that's like the all time no brainer. How could you not think that way? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll build it around them. Coach, we've got about three, four minutes here, and we spent a lot of time talking football, and hopefully we'll have more opportunities to do that with you into the future. But I was hoping we could take just a couple of minutes and just hear a little bit about who you are, okay. who, how you grew up, or how you end up here. Yeah. I know you were born in Massachusetts, moved to Georgia. You talked about your parents uh, really, really fondly in your press conference a week or so ago. How, what did your parents do? Why did they move from you know Massachusetts to Georgia? How did all that happen? Yeah, so my dad's a West Point grad, and uh, so you know he bounced around a little bit. He was in Germany after uh, graduating, but then we all all of our family was from the Northeast. Mm. He ended up taking a job with AT and T, and we moved to Georgia. So we got moved down there. But <clears throat> yeah, it's funny. I actually, took that job like a couple months later. He ended up switching jobs once we moved down to Georgia. But I had a great childhood. I mean. Played a bunch of sports down there in Atlanta. I was better at baseball than I was at football. I tell people I retired, you know, in in high school playing football because I wasn't any good. But, catcher? Uh, <laughs> Are you a catcher? No, I was, I was a middle infielder okay. in baseball, yeah. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I love the game of football, man. Like my dad, he would, he would vid, he'd video the, our games when I was a kid in high school, and I'd come back to my high school coach with a bunch of notes and stuff. And my high school coach would just roll his eyes, you know, like, who's this guy? You know, I thought I invented power, you know, back then. But uh, that was me, you know, and, it, and I just I loved finding those, like those trying to find those edges. It was just that was something that appealed to me. And then, you know, being able to coach high school football, that's kind of when it clicked for me, like what actual what coaching actually was was impacting you know kids and bringing them bringing them along and taking them from a to b and uh and seeing them grow and then and that's what really got me hooked you mentioned your wife a couple of times there was a lot of we in your in your press conference which was cool how did you guys meet and tell me just a moment or two about her yeah she's awesome so we met in baltimore uh she was cheering for the ravens at the time so we 
bunch of rules. You can't date cheerleaders as coach or whatever, but that, that was more on her side. So we, we, uh, What's that, Brock? Oh, we got an afternoon host who did the same thing as a player there for the Seahawks, <laughs> so he's going to love that story. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, so um, after the season ended, we, we started dating, and, and uh, the rest is history. But she's awesome. She um, She's super talented. Obviously, a cheerleader, and all, but a really real talent. It's like she's a great singer, hmm. and so she uh, she sings in a band for uh, our our church back in back in Baltimore. So uh, any churches out there that need a need a singer, she we're uh, Brock's your guy. Brock and Brian, three agents on the market. Yeah, eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. That's text line. Go ahead and text, <laughs> text in right some now. thoughts on that. Yeah, so yeah, she's super talented, and it's and uh, she, I mean she's my best friend, you know. So we just and we're going through this thing together, and. Um, I just, you know, she's in Baltimore right now, so I can't wait to get her back up, back up to Seattle. Well, you don't have hours. I mean, how many hours a day are we working right now? I'm like, you're in there 17, 18 hours, right? <laughs> That's why. Yeah, it's just like, you know, I'm like, just stay there. Let's let's make it a smooth transition. Yeah. I'm going to be working. You know, let's let's not let's not go crazy here. I guess last football question I'll ask you, and and maybe it's too early to answer this, but you've got some decisions coming up, really, even within the next couple of days. Yep. How much turnover do you expect on this roster before you coach your first game next year? I, I, you know, I don't know if I can answer that. I mean, um, that's something that John and I were working through, and I know there's some decisions that we got to make here, you know, pretty soon, but. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, it's something – I'm not going in with the mentality of, hey, let's flip this whole thing over. We're not – I don't think that's the mentality. It's more of an open mind, what's best for the team. Obviously, John's handling it on the personnel side, but uh, we'll, we'll be a uh, tag team through that whole process. Well, I sure appreciate it. As uh, we kind of suspected, Salk, this time is going to go too fast. Yes. So hopefully yeah. we can – That was 30 uh, minutes? Yeah, 25. Pretty, pretty okay, close. 25 yeah. minutes. So it wasn't terrible, was it? No, that was awesome. There's <laughs> a big pause there, don't you think? That was uh, that was our interview with Mike McDonald from yesterday. It wasn't terrible, was it? Uh, no, it wasn't terrible. It was fine. Uh, I you enjoyed. Think that him. was mostly Brock. You think he, he was, thought Brock was terrible? Oh yeah, that's probably true. He and I got along very well, but obviously Brock was a problem <laughs> for the interview. Uh, I was trying. Yeah. To- Thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you, Maura. That's a really nice... I could use some of the uh, building up today, (laughs) given the uh, negative reaction to my column last night at seattlesports.com, which you guys are welcome to read. And then if you want to yell at me, I'll take it. We'll defend it a little bit later, maybe in about an hour at 8 o'clock. I'll dig into it. at least read it first before taking a Right. At least read it. Then if you disagree with me and you think I'm an idiot, come at me. That's fine. I don't mind. But, you know, just read it first, and then we'll discuss. All right. Brock is in. What did he hear from the coach? We'll discuss next. It's Brock and Salk. Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.